Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into the Money Insights Podcast, where we talk all things money and business. My name is Christian Allen. I'm here with Rodney the Pod Zabriskie. Rod, it's been a little while, man. What is up? Hey, I'm doing great. How are so you feeling? I'm feeling well, I shouldn't say I'm feeling good. That'd be a lie. I'm I'm recovering <laughs> getting better from being under the weather. But I feel like yeah. at this time of year, pretty much everybody is. Yeah, I know we so, have been. Yeah, I can't complain. Yeah. Um, Rod, our big announcement is still the same, but it's a big one. We've got the virtual summit coming up on May 4th. Have I told you that's my mom's birthday? Oh, May you didn't 4th. mention that. Yep. That's cool. What, when was we thought about it, I was fan? like, ah, oh, May 4th. Was she a Star Wars fan? Yeah, May the 4th. Uh, not, I like, not so much necessarily. Like, I'm sure she tolerated it a little bit, but <laughs> I don't think I'd call her a fan. Okay, but okay. my mom, my mom died. Uh, she was 67. It was two, about two years ago and a little less than two years ago. Anyway, but I was excited to have the virtual summit on my mom's birthday. That way I won't forget it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. So the virtual summit coming up May 4th, we're going to have the early bird coming out in the next couple of weeks. Um, I know we keep saying that, but it is coming out like probably in the next 10 days. I think we can have it out in the next 10 days. Do you think so? I think so. Okay. Think 10 there. days. Hold me to it. Hold us to it. Okay. Um, Rod, today we're going to have, we're going to talk about an interesting topic. So um, as always, we're always canvassing to try to try and find interesting, thoughtful things that people are saying. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that we do that is we read a lot of what's being written out there, right? Yep. And we write, we find things from all sorts of different kinds of sources to try to get different perspectives. But you found an article that kind of created an interesting framework around personal finance. Mm -hmm. And I thought after when, when you sent it to me, I thought this would be perfect because we can Talk through, like, uh, first off, I think at its baseline, there's a lot of really good stuff there. Yeah. But I also thought it gave a good, an opportunity to have some good conversation around subjects or topics that we probably see the same and may see a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And so we can give kind of a different perspective on it. But I liked the overall framework. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the, what they call the five areas of personal finance and good news. Here's a teaser. Rod has a bonus. Ooh. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> Okay, so Rod has a bonus coming up. So I should say the six areas of personal finance. But then in addition to that, Rod, we're going to talk about the 12 core principles of personal finance. Yeah, I like and it. And we're going to like lay it. I, so the question is, is how good is, and I should just let people know, we're taking this article from annuity.org. Um, and so we're going to see how good or how, um, reliable annuity dot because we know we're reliable. Like, like <laughs> there's no question. So it's not one. a question of whether. Yeah, right. So yeah. we're going to see if annuity.org um, is pulling their weight and can deliver really high quality content. What do you Sweet. think? Sweet, I'm ready. Okay, let's do it, Rod. So the first area of personal finance, Rod, is income. This makes sense, mm -hmm. right? Like. Nothing happens without income. So certainly that makes sense to be the core driver. Um, if you don't have income, Rod, you don't save, you don't invest, you don't do anything. You don't spend. Yeah. None of those things are possible. If you don't have income, you don't have anything. Okay. Maybe not anything <laughs> as it relates to finance. You don't, have you don't get, yep. No, no. You don't even have love if you don't have income. <laughs> Okay, just kidding. Um, so, but yeah, you're right. From a financial perspective, yes, you can't get a lot done without income. And when we talk about income, we're talking about anything that's coming in. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people automatically go to like their job or whatever, sure. and that is a portion of income. Income, of course, can be any money that's coming into your world. Even if your mom is, you know, sending you five hundred dollars a month, that would still be considered income. Yeah, absolutely. Hey. So the next one, Rod, is spending. Okay, so let me tell you what they what they write about this really quick. It says spending includes the money for any expenses you have 
controlling the amount of money you spend can allow you to set aside money to grow your financial future. So pretty simple. Yeah. Uh, this okay, is money so that's our, leaving your world. It's yeah. No so now we've got the money going in. We've got the outflow. Yes. The key here, by the way, this is going to be groundbreaking. The key here is if you would like to grow your net worth, mm -hmm. you're going to need more income than you spend. Brilliant. Okay. So keep that in mind. Okay. The next thing, Rod, is savings. Yep. And one of the things that I think is interesting is that they delineate savings, which is number three. The fourth one is investing. So mm -hmm. here's the question, Rod. Why do you think that they're separating out savings from investing? And would you do that? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. what's your take? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the importance on this one is that you're set, you're talking about the money that you're setting aside for, uh, it, it could be for planned purposes, like, like sending your kids to, to college or things like that. Now you also may choose to invest that. So that that's where there's probably some crossover, but you also want to be setting money aside for like emergency fund for the unforeseen types of things, which in the future will move to spending. But as far as you're treating your money today, you have to be setting it aside and keeping it somewhere in a safe place that's uh, that's accessible for that rainy day kind of stuff. Okay. So that makes sense. So, so an investment, any, something that you're investing could be an investment. It could also be savings. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And they, and they're, they're separating them, but. Right. But, but I'm just saying like, as you kind of grow and progress, like there, there is some crossover in how that looks. And similarly Absolutely. now what you're suggesting is that there is a difference between bringing, taking your income and putting it in a an illiquid real estate deal and putting it mm -hmm. in the bank, right? right? While they're both a form of savings, right? That investment is completely illiquid, and so you have to keep that in mind. But anyway, yeah. so I get it. I think I think we're on the same page and, here. And in along a, along a similar vein, what we're saving, we would love to have it in a place where where it's doing something for us. Yeah, cash under the mattress. I think we can all agree is not the best way to go with with all of the savings. So now not we, the best. I think we understand that it's not going to earn a lot if it is just sitting in the bank, but you know, there are online banks, there's money market accounts. There are things that we can do that are better than just keeping it in a checking account or, or whatever, but still it's not going to earn much on that quote unquote, you know, savings slash liquid type of account. Okay. Okay. So income spending, savings, investing, and number five is protection. This is your wills and trusts. This is your insurances and anything that keeps your financial future secured from potential outside, maybe even inside um, threats. Is that fair? Yep, absolutely. Okay. So, and I think everyone agrees that, that, that all of these are a critical part of it. So, so when we talk about investing, obviously we're talking about mutual funds, bonds, stocks, real estate, all that kind of stuff. We come into protection. We're talking about things like, oh, they have annuities in here. That's funny. It's listed first. <laughs> do you think there's do you think there's a reason for that since we're on annuity.org? Uh, but obviously it's things like life insurance and health insurance and property and casualty insurance and wills trust and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. And again, I think it's easy to see there are crossovers in all of these. Because yes. you throw annuity in there and well. Is there a level of protection in an annuity? There can be. Okay, but, Rod. You know, it. You would hope that it's growing and earning something and yeah. building towards something in the future. So. so I didn't think that there was going to be a lot of controversy early on. I was just mm -hmm. going to plan to roll through the five areas of personal finance, Rod. But much to my dismay, you're not okay with this. So... Let us have it. What is the sixth area of personal finance? Because annuity.org is not doing it justice. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, here, here's what I thought. Number one, it stood out to me, even on the personal side, but especially when I thought of it from like a, a business standpoint, because if you think of your basic balance sheet, what is it made up of? It's made up of assets and it's made up of liabilities. liabilities. Well, is. debt was not included as one of the the five oh, and i thought interesting the five areas of personal finance savings but not debt okay okay i think i agree with you i think uh debt certainly should be a component I, again especially if you're going to say savings and investing like mm -hmm. those are both positive things on the balance sheet 
you've got to make sure you're accounting for the negative things, which yeah. could be really powerful, by the way. When I say negative, I just mean a debt could yeah. be a really, really good debt. Yeah. And, okay. and as we get into these fundamental principles, it actually finds its way in there. I just thought it, it also had a place in those five slash six areas okay. of personal finance. Okay. So from here on out, we are going to be talking about the six areas of personal finance. Perfect. And now, Rod, I'm excited because I read through, I've read through all these a few times and I've, I've thought mm -hmm. a little bit about it. So I'm interested to get some of your opinions, but we're going to talk about the fundamental principles of personal finance. And there's 12 of them. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, Rod, we have a 10 step formula to financial freedom. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not exactly the same conceptually what we're trying to do, but there are some similarities and some crossover. So Rod, we're going to kind of compare and contrast the way that we believe in building wealth and see how that uh, lines up with our friends here at Denudi.org. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. And and maybe to create some context as far as where they're coming from, as they say, well, these are the 12 fundamental principles. Mm -hmm. um, these were designed to teach financial literacy and responsibility to, to oh, yes. kids, school kids. So, uh, and I hear this a lot, like, why don't they teach this in the schools and why aren't, you know, why aren't there courses built around personal finance so that we can actually learn some of these things. And I, I, there's, I think there's more of it today than there used to be like in the high schools, our, our, our high school, for example, has a basic course that's required for graduation. Okay. But, it's um, improvement, but yeah. it's still sparse, right? Yeah. And so again, just to put it into context, but, but we're going to take these and we're going to, we're going to say, okay, well, if, if my kid is sitting in that class and these are the, what they're saying are the five, the, the 12 fundamental principles, then number one, how much do I agree with them? And number two, how, like, how did that find its way into one of the 12 fundamental pieces? Yeah. Well, and I am glad that you brought the, the context up about where it came from. I meant to do that earlier on, but I think, do think it's important while the stuff is really good for teaching children it's equally as good at teaching adults. Rod, so let's jump into the 12 principles of personal finance. The first one is to know your take-home pay. Well, that seems pretty obvious. I think it's a good idea at the very least. But it's interesting that that's like what they would consider like a core principle of personal finance. I don't know that I would have thought that to me just seems like common sense. So anyway, tell me what you think. Yeah. Okay. And and this one I think does help to go back to the kids thing because I oh good call. I think good call. Everybody can relate to this because when you get that first job and you get that very first paycheck and you look at the stub and you're like, wait a minute, I earned whatever it was, six hundred bucks. And I'm but only what's, getting what's all this other stuff? Yeah, my my 30. yeah, the, that's all that landed in my what's all this other stuff? Where'd yeah. that come from? Yeah, this you're right. That's painful. Guy. That's right? painful. I, I agree with you. Um, and the more I think about it, actually, I've run across many people who don't know their take home pay Yeah, that are very much high income earning. Sure. Right. So so the more I think about it, like it is an important thing. I just like I said, I don't know that I would have even thought to say, like, let's start at that basic of a level. Mm -hmm. But I agree. So I think we can I think they passed the first test. I can agree that knowing your take home pay is at least a critical principle of personal finance. Yeah. And it can take a few different forms. Like if you know, like you're again, going back to the kids, but an hourly wage, but let's say it's a, I have a salary or I have uh, some sort of, you know, every two weeks, I know what, what my uh, negotiated pay rate is. Well, I should also translate that into after all the, the taxes and insurance and everything else gets deducted from that what am I actually taking home? And I think a lot of us settle into that because, because we just see that number or we, you know, we get used to it. But, but I think from a, like a starting point, it'd be helpful to, to think about that when you're negotiating your pay. Yeah, that's a good thought. Um, and you know, a lot of the people listening are physicians, hopefully you're doing that, right? Like mm -hmm. you better be negotiating your your contracts and doing it wisely. That's yep. maybe a, that's maybe a thought for another show. Maybe we should talk about, anyway, well, we could get into that. Okay. So know your take home pays first. And I agree with that. The second one, Rod, 
is pay yourself first. Okay. Pay yourself first has been thrown out as a principle for a long time. Mm -hmm. And it almost feels just like it's just a given, but let me play devil's advocate here for a minute. Okay. Let me, let's just think about that. How many people have done exactly the opposite of paying themselves first and gotten incredibly wealthy from doing it? I'm just throwing it out there. (laughs) Okay. I I mean, I can think of scenarios where that's true. Well, okay. So this is tricky, right? Because like, because you have different types of people, right? You Mm -hmm. have entrepreneurs. Well, an entrepreneurs might, in that situation, it might look very different. So here's kind of what my point was going to be though. I would say that for the, for certain, if you're going to take the like longer methodical approach to getting to financial freedom, then using this concept 100% makes sense. You do it first. It's a rule. You just, you just never miss it. Right. Mm -hmm. However, Rod, I have personally taken risks with my money that were not paying myself first that have allowed me to be far wealthier than I ever could have been. Had I just been like, Nope, I can't, I can't take that. I can't do that. I have to put my X, Y, Z money here. Even if it means I don't take, take advantage of this opportunity. So I get it. I get the principle, but I'm just playing devil's advocate. I think that there is a place to consider whether it always makes sense to pay yourself first or whether that's just like a good idea most of the time. Okay. Well, let me um, maybe try to add some color around that. The Remember when we talked about the six areas of, of personal finance? The six areas. Yep. And, and when that we talked being about the sixth. Yeah. <laughs> when we talked about spending, it was money that's gone and never doing anything for you again. Like you spent it on that item or that show or whatever, and it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. And and I think what you're talking about is money that you, I would put more in the category of, of investing. Okay. So you're, it, so you're suggesting that it actually is paying yourself first. Kind In a sense. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Now it's not paying yourself first necessarily in savings. Cause that yes. may be money that's gone. It's it, it, in, in that sense, it's never, it's a, they call it a sunk cost in, in business yeah. lingo because it's not coming back, but it could provide some value in, in some other way coming back to you. So it could be, you're, you're thinking of it as an investment when you do it. Right. Mm. Okay. Well, th- this is interesting because it's almost like there's this parallel between the idea of people like, say paying, saying pay yourself first and invest in yourself, right? Yeah. Invest in yourself is saying like, be willing to not just look at the money and look at the, the, the intangibles that putting money into your own education, growth, those right. type of things and what it can create for you. Um, and I think both of them have a lot of truth to it, right? So yeah. like if you're getting down to the nitty gritty and like, just like if you're a budgeter, then you know, and, and you want to talk about paying yourself first and it's like, I, I don't know, formal way. I don't know what the right wording is, but in the way that we typically think about it first, which is just mm-hmm. like, okay, I get my paycheck. I, you know, I earn 10, I earn my $25,000 this month or every two weeks. And then I put my 10% in to pay myself first or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like in that way, while I think that can be valuable for people, I also think there's other ways to go about it that can be equally or more effective. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, it's just, it's just saying, Hey, be thoughtful about it because what it's guarding against is what you don't want to do is just dump all of your earnings into your, say your checking account and see what happens. Okay. And similarly, you also don't want to just put all your money into your business and see what happens. Yep. So there is balance. There's balance. Okay. Okay, Rod, that was that was a good one. I thought that was interesting. Number three, start saving. Not later, Rod, start saving now. Yes. What are your thoughts? I mean, I, that's kind of obvious. Like, well, I agree. It, I agree. I mean, and here again, it, going back to the what annuity.org said were the, the five areas and six. We know but that there's six, but uh, yeah. And, and they're saying specifically saving. So when I think about that, I think about emergency fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the extent that you have uh, 
you have bills, you have monthly expenses. So again, going back to the kids, if you're still, in with, still living with dad and mom, then you obviously think of this differently. But as soon as you move out and you have monthly rent and uh, maybe a, a car loan payment or something like that, you need an emergency fund. You need a backup plan because that awesome job that you you think you're going to have forever, you just may not have it forever. Right. I have two words for you. I, I'm excited. Credit card. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what world you're living in. We live in the 20th century, 21st century. <laughs> wow. And we have credit cards, Rod. So that savings is much less important today. Much the backup plan. Okay. It's a good backup plan. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you're right. Like we do need to start saving now. And um, I think doing it while you're young. And really what I think is it's building habits because the question yeah. is, what are you saving for? Right. Yeah. Like it almost makes it seem like, oh, I just need to start saving generally. Well, probably saving for a purpose is even better. Right. So now if I was going to rewrite that, I'd say start saving now with purpose. I like it. I do like it. Yeah. Okay. 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 okay Rod, number four. This one's interesting because I do not spend a lot of time on this in general, mm -hmm. but I'll talk about why. Um, compare interest rates. So this is, this one's interesting. Cause again, you can take that in a lot of directions, right? Like, yeah. well, are we talking about credit cards? Are we talking about, I mean, are any type of loan we're talking about comparing interest sure. rates? and, and at the end of the day, that's what they're saying. They're saying when you go out and borrow money, find the best deal that you can possibly get compare mm -hmm. contrast. Don't just take whatever the first, the first company will give you. If just by doing a little, putting in a little more effort, I could avoid that now. Yeah. Oh, you go first. Well, so on, on this one, um, I think at its core, really it's learn how to analyze interest rates. Cause okay, you know, there yeah. are the, there are the, the trickster financial organizations out there that'll say, this is the interest rate. And then it turns out uh, there are other strings attached. So like learning what are the, what at, at the different levels, how do I understand what my like APR, right? Like how do I boil it down to an actual apples to apples way to compare the different interest rates? Okay. I think that's a good point. Um, and it is a little bit tricky. The other thing. Okay. So Rod, this is embarrassing to admit. I've, I've admitted it on the podcast before, but this is what it, your idea of like learning how to analyze them reminded me mm -hmm. of why this is so important. Because if not, you have to worry about these, like, I say predatory, but it's more like uneducated um, people from, like, the M the financial MLMs, like Primerica. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll just give it. So my cousin recruited me to Primerica. The first thing I, I, I was 21 years old. I did it for, like, six, eight months. Got in a little bit of exposure to the financial industry and quickly realized that that was not my path. However, um, I, again, I've said, a, I'm thankful for what it did give to me. Okay. So here's what happened though, Rod. Primerica, they, they bring on people who are basically uneducated, have no knowledge base. And you know, it's a, the game is about recruiting mm -hmm. as much as it is about selling product. Now the, the product has to be sold in order for to, to make money, but you're trying to recruit to sell the product. Okay. Yeah. Build your downline. Build your downline, right? Just like any other one. Um, it has uh, like, well, anyway, we won't get into the into the details of Primerica on this podcast. Maybe that's for another day. But here's what I did. Not what I did. Here's what they do. They have a loan product. Not like Okay, so, and it's not like a typical home loan. Okay. It's like a, it's like a limited home loan because you don't have to be licensed. Like you don't have to be, um, like the typical broker. mortgage license yeah. in order to sell it. So it's like a, it's like this limited thing, but here's what mm -hmm. they would do. They would be, and this is amazing that this is like, they probably should have been sued from lots of people for this. Here's what's happens. They'd go into the house and they'd be like, okay, you're paying 6% on that mortgage. Well, I'm going to show you how you can pay an effective percentage of 5.2%. Okay? okay. And, and here's how we're going to do it. There's this incredible loan offered by Citigroup in, in that situation. Okay. And, and here's what they're going to do. They're going to give you, okay, you're at a 6% interest rate. They're, they're going to give you a 7% interest rate, okay? Um, but we're going to go on a biweekly payment schedule. Uh, 
And we're going to pay this thing off instead of in 30 years, we're going to pay it off in 17 years. And you, my friend, are only going to pay an effective rate of whatever it is, 3.7%. Okay. Like, like slam dunk. You could stick with your, your crappy current loan at 6% or you could go to this <laughs> three, this 7% loan that's creating. Okay. My point here is you'd be shocked at how many people that worked on. Like I was I would have that conversation with a few people until I realized I like had to have that epiphany moment where mm -hmm. I was like looking in inward and saying like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Right. Uh, but anyway, to your point, Rod, you really do need to know how to do that kind of thing because um, there are sadly people who will take advantage, of, even if they don't necessarily know they are. The point here is become educated enough to be able to do those core things by yourself. But that was a good one, Rod, because I was excited to tell people about my Primerica experience. Yeah, I did not know that that was a thing. Like I've heard of all the all the rest of it because they do they do the life insurance and they do the investments. I did not know that yep. they offered a loan. Yep, it was it's it's by term invest the difference. So they offered um they offered mutual funds, term mm -hmm. insurance. Um they did have a couple of variable annuities. Okay. So, but those were like variable annuities, mutual funds and term insurance and not loan. loan products, just the singular loan product yeah. that you would go and get an application from the person. You'd send it in. They would underwrite it and go back and you would go sell them on this messed up thing. that you and Only one okay, so, is the only one you need. Well, yeah. And so just, for, yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> well, oh my gosh, Rod. They used to talk about the amortization schedule and yeah. it was the daily amortization. So it just was like so much better than these other loans. Well, Rod, I did a deep dive analysis on those loans mm -hmm. eventually. And sadly it took someone like a mortgage broker being like, uh, that's not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to like, again, look inward, but I did the math turned out it wasn't, wasn't helping us. Uh, so yes, know how to do those things so that you don't get caught up with, uh, people who may not have the best of intentions. Yeah. Or no, just okay. get caught up by doing it the wrong way on accident. Right. It may, maybe nobody's pushing you that way we might just not do it the right way yeah okay uh sorry Great i didn't mean story. to get i didn't mean to get so excited about comparing interest <laughs> rates <laughs> okay rod number five remember the rule of 72 i'm just gonna let you go start on that one well let's first start by defining it i'm sure most people know what this is but but just in case just to clarify so the rule of 72 is if you want to know how long it's going to take to double your money with mm -hmm. with an investment with where you're earning some sort of interest rate, then the rule of 72 applies. So just make it really easy. Uh, if I if I want to double my money in 10 years, say I have whatever 100 grand, I want to turn it to 200 grand in the next 10 years. What kind of interest rate do I have to earn? 7.2 percent. If I earn 7.2 percent every year for the next 10 years, my hundred thousand will turn into 200 thousand. Oh man, in seven years. Well, I want to get a 12% return so that I can double my money every six years. Right. And that's it. So so you just apply the, the rule of 72. And and the same thing applies. Like if you're saying, well, how long is it going to take for me to to double my money? And I'm getting yeah. a 10% return. Yeah. Well, it turns out it's 7.2 years. Brilliant. Okay. Okay. Thank you for clarifying the rule of 72. For anybody who doesn't know it, I I have to think people on this Most, have a pretty good idea, yeah, but probably. but we don't want to we don't want to take anything for granted. Okay, so the rule of seventy two, and really what they're saying is, remember compound interest, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So here's the question, Rod: Is compound interest as magical and powerful as everybody says it is? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's Einstein it. says so. Okay, I mean. Einstein was pretty smart. I've heard. So you're just it's, going with a solid yes. Is there well, any uh, is there any counter argument to it? Well, I okay. I'll I'll make a clarifying argument. I don't know if it's okay. counter, but it's gonna be clarifying. Uh, because it, it goes back to what you're saying earlier about the interest rates. Like, know know what that means and know how you're creating. Like, are you truly creating compound interest in the way that you think you are? Um, and probably the biggest example of this is the like the return you get on when you invest in like the stock market in, in, anywhere where you can get negative returns. Yeah. When, when there's a situation where you can get negative returns, look at it, like really break it down because 
Uh, the, yeah. the example Understand we the use impact. is yeah, if I lost fifty percent one year, and I made bat and I made a hundred percent the next year, well, my average return was actually twenty five percent, right? Except I'm only back to where I started. That so my right. actual return, I there was no compounding happening there. Just just so you know. Yeah. Okay. So you're right. There is a difference between average and a difference between average return and actual return. And yeah. you absolutely need to be aware of that. Um, I think that there is obviously a lot of power to it, but I don't think, I don't think that it should keep people from proactively looking for opportunities proactively becoming educated proactive. Like, I don't think just because compound interest exists, like the solution is, Hey, I'm just going to throw my money in a 401k and let compound interest do the rest. Yeah. But okay. I do think, I think utilizing it is critical and important, but it's just a piece. Okay. Yeah. So, but, but to be fair, they just said to remember it. So that's, that's a fair <laughs> argument. Cool. Okay. Number six, Rod, never borrow what you can't repay. And, that feels like a good, that feels like a strong, a strong point to me. Yes. Okay. This one, this is, and this is an area where I, I think you and I have differed, uh, especially in the past because, well, let me ask you this. How do you buy cars? You buy them on loan, right? Uh, yes. I, most of the cars that I've bought in my adult life, I bought you out. You buy them in cash. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And well, that's reasonable. and it was this this number 6 principle is is basically what was at play. Um because I'm self-employed and or, you know, early on in my career when I was working for someone but I wasn't making a lot of money, I just had I and I should say we, my wife and I both together just had this this voice in the back of our heads that would continually talk to us if like you don't commit to too much because now going back to like the backup plan whether it's the credit cards or whether it's the mm -hmm. emergency fund. Uh, if I have, to the extent that I have a, the, the car loan, I need more emergency fund or, or higher limits on my credit card, right? Because um, <laughs> that's an expense that I have to plan for when I'm looking at my backup plan, I have to plan for it. So this is an example of- Okay, um, now I'm going to give you the argument. Agreeing. I like Okay, it. and I'm going to argue this point. Um, now, let, okay, let me be clear. You shouldn't borrow what you can't <laughs> repay. Okay, <laughs> so right. are, making that argument isn't going to work very well. Like, no, I actually think you should start borrowing <laughs> things that you can't repay. Okay, but but to art to borrow something you can't immediately repay in the moment is different than being able to repay it at all, right? Okay. So, it, from my perspective, that does not mean I have to, in order to purchase a house, be Dave Ramsey style and buy my house in cash. Otherwise I don't have the ability to do that. Like yeah. that's not the way I view. Okay. My, my philosophy is to carry as much liquid cash as possible, okay. especially as a business owner. So I would argue Rod that the most dangerous thing I could do as a business owner is pay my car in cash and not have the liquidity that could be necessary to keep myself going. Now, there could become a time and a place where that makes sense from my perspective. Mm -hmm. But I, I do get where you're saying, like from a pure money, like if you just took the math into it, the math is on your side. No mm -hmm. question. But from a philosophical standpoint, that's where I would probably differ a little bit. Yeah. And and this probably just goes back again. I, I've probably said it a few times already is being just being thoughtful about it and and methodical. So as you're looking at that and you're saying, well, I really want that car and I'm not willing because for liquidity reasons or other reasons, I'm not just going to buy it in cash. I'll take on the, the payment. Just realize the impact of that on your other planning that you're doing. Because again, yeah. like the emergency fund, if I if my plan is I need six months of expenses, well, I just added a monthly expense. Therefore, I, I need to account for that in my in my liquidity, my, my, okay. So uh, this gets into the account. next one. Um, very well, Rod, because the next one is to create a budget, which I'm also on the fence on. I would say <laughs> <laughs> that's I, again, I'm saying that kind of tongue in cheek, like 
everybody should have a spending plan. Can I like, I need to create a word that doesn't mean the same thing as budget. That's like a looser version of budgeting. Cause that's what I believe in. I believe in a like plan budgeting, a spending, like a plan. Yeah. 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 But, but not to the penny, not super detailed. Yeah. I wouldn't worry about like, I would use principles. I would just kind of look at my expenses and say, okay, I, I assume I, I, you know, I need, this is like, maybe I would just use my income. Okay. I need six months of income. So let's say that I carry in my bank account, $500,000, right? So I've got my, my half a year. That to me is okay. And even, even if I bought a car, that had an additional payment. I don't know that I would feel compelled to be like, nope, we need to add a little. Now, now I was using a different metric, so that maybe isn't a good example. It would the the right metric would be to use expenses, mm -hmm. not income. But you get what I'm saying. Sure, I believe in it conceptually, but I just it just is hard for. And this is to be totally honest, this is a personality thing. My personality doesn't like to like dig into that level of detail. And mm -hmm. so for me, it just like makes me anxious and stressed doing that. But if that's not you, like I, I'm certainly not going to tell anybody not to budget. Um, but I can also suggest that if that doesn't really like feel like you, there's other ways to do it that can be just as effective. And and here's what I would suggest for someone. If, if you, if you hear what Christian's saying and you're like, okay, but how do I get to the plan? Like if I, I don't have a really good starting point, I'll give a, a an analogy here. Okay. okay. <clears throat> so a couple of years ago, I lost like, I don't know, 20, 30 pounds. And people are like, well, how did you do it? Well, it was not, it wasn't like uh, a, a program per se, but all I did is I, I mean, I tracked my calories mm -hmm. to get an idea for how much you were taking what, in. Yeah. What different categories of foods bring in uh, as mm. far as calories, I was surprised on a bunch of stuff, not surprised on other stuff. And you had to cut back um, on your love of potatoes, at least temporarily. Nope. Oh, you did good. No, I, I just budgeted in. Oh, I okay. Okay. In. I just planted. <laughs> okay. Um, but things like, like granola waffles, very high cal high calorie count for yes. what I was eating. And I just had no idea. I never would have guessed it. So anyway, but my point here is, I spent maybe three months doing that. And now I have an idea. Like I can create a plan. I can quote unquote budget my caloric intake because I have an idea, but it took getting granular for a period of time to, to get to the plan. So now on the budget side, um, if you've never, like if you've never looked at what you're spending <laughs> where and, and, you know, not tracking any, anything to know that you're not spending more than you're earning or, or than you want to be spending, uh, then it may take some getting granular for a period of time, learn it. And then like what you're saying is absolutely true because if you build that into an overall liquidity plan, investment plan, et cetera, like everything else that you have going on and, and you're sticking with the plan, so to speak, then, then you're good. You don't yeah, have to okay. get to the dollars and cents. Okay. I think I can agree with that. You know, what, what's ironic about this is you were saying that I'm like, I do like to get granular like that inside our CRM. Mm -hmm. I just don't like to do it with money. Weird. But here's the thing. Once you get granular on some of those things inside of the CRM and you see, Hey, these, these metrics team tend to do these things, then you won't, you won't be as worried as look at it anymore. as frequently. Yeah. That's true. That's at a glance, you'll, you'll get more information with, but it's because you got granular on it. Okay, Rod, this is one I, this next one, I don't agree with. This is probably okay. the first one. Well, uh, maybe that's not fair to say. I don't <laughs> always agree with okay. it, okay. but, but I can certainly say it's not a, from my perspective, just a given principle. Okay. okay. Number eight, Rod. Remember, they say that high returns means high risk. Yeah. Okay, so I've talked a lot about risk-adjusted return on the show. Yeah. I talk about it all the time because I think that this is oftentimes for people, it's a misnomer. Like they've actually got it backwards, right? Mm -hmm. Now, some of that's just that they're, you know, 
most people are less exposed to alternative type investments, physical yeah. type investments and things like that. And so it's just kind of like, it, it's almost like that doesn't even exist. So they're not thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and this to me just shows like groupthink and rhetoric. It's that's what people always say. Um, that's what the disclosures say. If you, you know, if I was securities licensed for a long time, Rod, and we had to make sure that people understood that higher risk doesn't just mean higher reward. It, it means, um, you know, higher risk. Like you, you have to pay something for that. Yeah. So anyway, here's the deal though. I 100% think that there are many places and many situations where you can go, where you can create a higher return with less risk. Agreed. Yeah. I and mean, what's interesting is, is that the statement that they make, remember that high returns means high risk. And then in the description below, the first statement it says is high return on investment typically means you are going to have to take higher risks. Right? Okay, okay. So even in, even That's in helpful. the description, they're at least allowing for that. Um, but, but I think you're right. I think a lot, often we get into this, just this mindset that number one, if that the only way I can get higher returns is to take on that higher risk. And then number two, and this gets into the next one, um, that if, if it provides a higher return without higher risk, then it doesn't exist or it's, ah, or it's yes. too good to be true kind of thing. Right. That's true. I like that. And you're right, Rod, that is the issue because it's been baked into our minds from, I mean, think about the, like we, we see these commercials constantly from the different investment companies and there's all these disclosures and things mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. just constantly tell us that high risk or uh, high, high return means that I've got to take, you know, oftentimes high risk in order to create that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that was a really good point. And number nine, Rod, to your, that you were leading into is don't expect something for nothing. Yeah. And guess what? If you can get something for very little or nothing, then just don't take it. It's not, it's not good. Yeah. And, and I say this knowing that, that we ha have to be very careful because there are a lot of people out there that would love nothing more than take advantage of us. Oh boy. Like, I have a story. Take our money and not give us anything in return. Right. Um, so I'm not saying uh, in, in my earlier statement that, that like, therefore, if you hear it, you should believe everything you hear and, and every story someone tells is true. So my in-laws, Rod, they years ago, I hate, I, I don't want to be throwing them under the, they're like the best people. I couldn't have, couldn't have asked for a better family. Okay. But this is a funny thing. They, they told me about the, their investment in Dinar. Are you familiar with Dinar, Rod? I, it's, it's a, the uh, Iraqi, the Iraqi, okay, Iraqi. currency. Okay. Yep. Yes. I do remember um, that all it has to do is make just a little bit of shift and then all of us, it's going to blow up. Right. Um, okay. So when I hear the don't expect something for nothing, there is a lot of truth to that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like um, it's not likely that a penny stock is going to work out for you. Right. If mm -hmm. I put a penny in, I'm probably not going to make, $10,000 back on that. Right. Um, now that doesn't mean though, that I can't go out and, you know, get a 12% return instead of a 9% return without increasing my risk at all. Yeah. So, it, so I could genuinely expect more without taking on more risk. Now mm -hmm. it's not nothing. There's not no risk, Yeah. but it wouldn't be more risk. So I'm kind of combining eight and nine together in this moment. Yeah. But, yeah. but anyway, that's the thought that comes to my mind as I, as I, you know, read that don't expect something for nothing. And, and maybe like getting down bottom line, a thought that comes to me is like, always look at risk. There is risk in everything earlier when they were talking about savings, they were kind of implying like, this is the no risk thing to do to be setting money aside. Yeah. But that's not true. There is no such thing. Yeah understand the risk so someone might say well putting that money in that checking account what that's could be risk free yeah what could what's the risk well 
I think we know, right? We've lived it over the last year. If you had all of your money sitting in your checking account, you lost a whole bunch of money, a whole bunch of value in that money because it was just, it got eroded by the inflation. So, yep. Inflation risk um, exists, interest rate mm -hmm. risk, mm -hmm. liquidity risk. Like there's just all sorts of things that we have to be thinking about and aware of. Okay. Great point. Okay. Um, I do agree as a, as a primary principle that we, we shouldn't expect something. Productive. Yeah. But do you know what's weird about this? This is where governments take advantage of people too. Tell us about it. The lottery. Like who, who participates <laughs> in the lottery? It's people who are hoping, right? I, I don't know that I, I hope. Well, I, I, th I think there are people out there, but I hope there aren't many people out there who are like putting all of their, earnings into the lottery yeah that's so, going to take so, to the promised land but the, but there yeah. are people that do it and it's the lower income people that are actually at, at higher like that fund you're these right. huge lottos you know yeah and you're right that is a that is a crappy thing like there's there's kind of no way around it right because a lot of, when i think about that when i think about the lottery if, if i was going to do it i would be looking at it and saying, I'm not going to expect something for nothing. I might kind of hope for it, but I'm yeah. certainly not going in with the expectation. Right. Um, but what ends up happening, like you said, is you get people who maybe you're down on their luck and they're like, you know, shooting their last arrow at a lottery ticket or willing to spend money because they're down, they're down, down mm -hmm. and out. And, mm -hmm. and that is disappointing. Okay. I didn't mean to get on a tangent about the lottery rod, but you just brought up a good point. I totally agree with you. Um, okay. Rod number 10, this one's pretty straightforward. I don't really have any commentary on it. Plan your financial future. I think that's what we're talking about here. Do it. Do it. Okay. Plan your good. financial future. Okay. I agree. Rod, this one is interesting and I only kind of agree with it. So number okay. 11, your credit past determines your credit future. Okay. Talk to me about this. This happens to be an area I know something about. Okay. At its core, the, the statement is true. In other words, if we're, if we're talking specifically about credit scores and your ability to go out and, and get a loan, then the statement is true. Like if you have no credit past, then you don't have any credit future. Yeah. You have, you have to somehow create a, a starting point and that starting point is going to dictate and, and how you how you handle credit is going to handle your ability to then access credit in the future. So as a statement, it's it's true. And we should absolutely keep that in mind. It makes a huge difference when it comes time to borrow on a home, you know, borrow on a business loan, et cetera, in terms of the interest rate that you'll pay. But I'm I'm interested to hear your take on it. Okay, so I would say it differently. I would say your credit is important. Okay. I would not say, however, that your credit past necessarily has to determine your credit future. Okay. okay. So we all know that when we have like a negative item on our credit report that lasts for a certain rate, right? Mm -hmm. So like a, a chapter seven bankruptcy is from seven to 10 years. I can't remember the exact numbers, but mm -hmm. um, so, so, and really any, piece of negative credit information stays on our credit report. Mm -hmm. However, Rod, there is lots of ways to get that off your credit report. Okay. So now this is a tricky thing because I'm not a proponent of saying, Hey, you can just go out and be irresponsible and then go like, you know, pay to get your credit report cleaned up. Although you could do that to be totally mm -hmm. honest with you. Um, I'll explain that in a second. Well, I didn't know How, that. Yeah, you can totally do it. Uh, okay, so, but I'm not a proponent of that, to be very clear, right? Yeah. However, if you're somebody that uh, missed a payment by accident for some, okay, I'll give you an example. Everyone's probably done something like this. I had a, years ago, I had a JCPenney card yeah. and I was, I was young and I was moving around and I did not know that I had, I had gotten a late payment on it because there was an annual fee. I hadn't used it in like, two years, but there was an annual fee uh -oh. and then it went 30, 60, 90 days late. And I'm like, you know, I'm in college and do it. Like I never even saw the thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so that was kind of messed up. I don't feel bad at all. If I can find a way to go in and get something like that removed. So mm -hmm. even right now, 
I pay for a service for my credit report. And this is, um, and the reason I know about this is because there's a company called Lexington Law Firm. And they, they're in Salt Lake, at least one of their offices in Salt Lake. And basically they do credit report repair. Well, my brother was working there and he got me a job. Like this is again, 20 years ago. So I worked at this office, this, this law office that focuses on credit report repair. Now I say law office, like it's more like a few lawyers and mostly like sales people who are reaching out to, you know, people who, who might be interested in getting okay. there, there that using their service. Um, but here's what I can tell you is that it 100% works without question. It works. Mm -hmm. I've seen it work for, for my own situation. So right now, even today, I still pay for a service and it's a pretty, it's like 20 or 30 bucks a month or something like that. And they just monitor it. But if there's something on it, they will then start sending out, um, disputes to basically dispute the negative item, to, um, to get them to clear it off, to get them to clear it off. And basically the rule is that if they don't respond, then they are forced to do it. So they mm -hmm. either have to be willing to fight that battle and some of them will, and you know, they should, if it's a, if it's a completely it's legit. legitimate, like, mm -hmm. um, now the important thing here though, is that you're still working within the parameters that are absolutely legal. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, there is this part of me that's like, from like the, the principal part of me thinks you shouldn't be able to just go be irresponsible and then do whatever you want. And then the other part of me thinks like, but if the law is very clearly given a path for someone to get negative items removed from their credit report and it's legally on the right side of the line, well then like, how do you make sense of that? Right. Yeah. It's an interesting topic. Anyway, my point is just to say that I have seen many, many people. Um, and I had, like I said, I had a couple of weird credit things when I was really young that mm -hmm. um, I worked with. And again, because I worked there, it made sense. I'm like, well, yeah, I would rather not have these. So I got them mm -hmm. off and they 100% uh, eliminated um, negative items from a credit report. Interesting. So, All right. um, and then of course, uh, the other thing I would say is that it's only for a specified, specified period of time, right? right so if right. you're young and have made some mistakes, like it's not going to, that doesn't have to be like the death of your credit future, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And and I do think what they're saying here at the core of it is credit is important. You want to be aware of it. I certainly don't think that we should, you know, again, be irresponsible or content with paying late and those kind of things. However, um, if you end up in that situ those kinds of situations, I think it's important to know that there are opportunities to get out of it still. Yeah. Okay. Be smart. Hey, Rod. Yeah, be smart. Number 12. We finally made it. Whew. My, <laughs> my it throat's getting a little dry. Okay, Rod, this is your favorite topic. So tell us what number 12 is. Number 12 is buy insurance. I disagree. <laughs> hard, hard disagree on this one, Rod. Okay, let's run them past you. Health insurance? No. I'm out. I don't use health insurance. Auto, home. Nope, nope. nope. Okay, just kidding. Uh, okay, so... I guess it's hard to dispute or um, go against the buy insurance. Like you kind of mm. just have now some of them Rod, are like legally mandated Yep. and some of them are completely voluntary. So, yep. so it's like, what kind of insurance should I buy? Like, okay. So that's the one concern I have here is buy insurance. Like, well, what insurance should I buy? How much okay. of it? Yeah, let's Where talk should about I get this. it from? Let's talk about this. Well, they don't care. They just want you to buy insurance of any kind. <laughs> if it's offered, buy it. Yeah. If it's offered, yeah. It. Just, yeah. Just you it. get like Aflac people come to your door. <laughs> just buy it. Don't even just, think about it. Just buy. Yeah. Just buy. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, okay. So the, and some of these are probably obvious because um, the, the home, yes, have home insurance, have auto insurance. Uh, liability obviously comes with those things, home and life and auto. Um, but I would also say that one thing that that's not in, on the list here uh, that is absolutely critical for any high income earner is an umbrella policy. If you don't have an umbrella policy, okay. you should have one added to that. And, and just to clarify what that is, I have my home, I have my auto, I have my, you know, the liability. Um, but those have limits. 
what the umbrella policy does is it says we're going to increase your limits across the board. That's why the umbrella idea is that it's going to cover all of these different categories so that if I'm in a wreck that I hit my limits, but there's there are more expenses out there, then my umbrella policy will come in and help that. And what the interesting thing about the umbrella policy is, number one, it, it increases those limits. So obviously it just has more money that, that goes toward those things. But the other thing, the way that I view it as as being maybe even more important is it it puts the the attorneys of the insurance company that holds that umbrella policy on my side as well. They they don't they would rather not pay out more than they have to. So if there's oh, something I'm I'm responsible for someone's loss, but they're being unre- unreasonable in what they're asking for. It's not just me as an individual saying, well, I don't want to pay what you're asking. I have these the, these attorneys of the insurance company on my side. Guess what, Rod? What? I have umbrella policy. I have an umbrella nice policy. Nice work. Thank you. I'm so excited. To, it was, I was thinking to myself the whole time, like, whew, lucky. I checked this one off. Rod wants me. <laughs> Rod wants us to have an umbrella policy. And I have one. Uh, can I just tell you one other kind of interesting note about umbrella policies? Yeah. So you made the correct and uh, well, you gave a good description of kind of how it works, right? So if the other insurances run or hit their limits, then we go to that. Well, guess what? Mm -hmm. That means most of the time those other policies won't hit their limits. Most of the time. Yeah. You hope so. So, No, just, just stick with me, Rod. Okay. Okay. Most of the time they won't. Like if we went out and looked at statistically speaking, that's yeah. not going to happen most of the time, which is good for us because umbrella policies are really cheap yeah. because most of the time we're not going to have to get to that point. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even remember what I pay. Right? It's like hundred bucks a year, 200 bucks a year, something like that. And I've got, I, I don't remember if I'm at like 3 million or 5 million on my umbrella policy, but I've got this extra that, applies not only well the other thing that it comes into is like like the legal side of it too like there's just a lot of a lot of good reasons to have an umbrella policy so i agree with you okay so buy insurance let's be really clear about what kind of insurance people should buy health insurance check yes auto insurance yes those are health you don't have to but you should auto you have to home Mm -hmm. you have to life insurance you don't have to, but you 100% should. Even if you don't need life insurance from a death percent death benefit perspective, it's so valuable in in many of these other areas that we talk about that yeah. it's hard for me to come up with a situation where it wouldn't make sense for someone to be utilizing uh, life insurance. And then there's a couple others, Rod, that we should throw in there. Some people, I don't want to say everybody, but some people should own disability insurance. Okay. Some people probably should have long-term care insurance. Um, but again, not everybody in either case. And is there any other insurances I'm missing? Malpractice. Maybe malpractice. Okay. That's an insurance. Um, I, I actually, I made a joke about Affleck earlier, but if you have like a history of cancer, then in your family, like there could be actually, that could actually be a valuable um, type of insurance. Yeah. Have. And those but, are kind of like you said earlier, they're, in my experience of stuff I've looked at, they're relatively inexpensive for the kind of benefit that you could get, like you said, especially if it's something that you're particularly concerned about. Oh, man, Rod. Utah broke the Aflac business. I'm convinced of it. Okay. Do you remember the baby thing? You probably participated. Okay. So Aflac had the policy where you could buy it. And like when you purchase, they like give you $20,000 or something for having a baby. I can't remember what it was, but it was probably not that much we didn't we should have got on that bandwagon oh, you should have you got seven kids right <laughs> um i know a lot of people who uh, but you could buy it like a month or two before and they would pay out the it was really bizarre right wow. anyway they did correct it um but i just thought of it when you said that i thought it was kind of funny, That's funny. um okay so the last point i'll make on the buy insurance is buy the right types of insurance Buy what makes sense for you. Don't just buy insurance. Yeah, get educated. That's a bad yeah. idea. That's yeah. a bad idea. Yeah. Um, okay, Rod, are there any... Uh, okay, so there probably are some things that we could add or subtract from it, or at least sure. add to it, um, but we didn't really come in thinking along those lines. So we've been through the 12 principles. We've kind of given our take on it. 
Um, do you have any closing thoughts before we call it no. a day? Yeah, I think I've hit on everything I was planning. Okay, well, I thought this was fun. And again, I really do think it was a good framework. Um, so what's nice, Rod, is to see mostly quality information being put out there, right? Because mm -hmm. sometimes, not always, but sometimes we see stuff that is just bad, Yeah. right? We have a competitor that says something funny. <laughs> they say that 97% that of all financial information is wrong. <laughs> I'm not sure where they got to the 97% yeah. number, but not, but not, well, I will say this, a lot of the financial information out there is wrong. Um, but I thought this was pretty good and I thought it was a fun conversation. So Rodney, as always, it was my privilege to hang out with you for the last 45 minutes or so. Thanks for being with us, everybody. And, uh, we hope to see you next week. Thank you for listening to the money insights podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth-building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.